0: to be with you this morning. uh, I'm so thankful, thanks, to just share God's Word with you. Uh, As Ron had mentioned, uh, we have a a weekly men's ministry at uh, First Baptist Church. Uh, The other men's ministry leader, Craig, is all the way in the back corner over there. And we have, uh, every Saturday morning we study the Word of God and uh, we went through the entire minor prophets, probably took us two or three years to do that. Uh, Then we spent probably three months with John the Baptist, uh, being the last of the Old Testament prophets. And uh, we're moving on now and uh, talking about conversations with Jesus, uh, looking at people that met Jesus in the Bible. And uh, when Ron called me, this was on my mind. I said, you know, there's some things about Nathaniel I wanted to talk about and didn't get to in men's group, uh, so you get them now. So, so, and I always thought, uh, when I was talking about this, why, why uh, people talking to Jesus always amazes me in the Bible. You know, can you imagine that? Did you, ever, did you ever think of what it would be like for you to be able to talk to Jesus? Don't you wish you could just ask him the questions you have on your mind? If you lived with him and spoke with him and, and saw him face to face do you think your faith would be stronger or weaker i don't know i mean we see a bigger part of the picture than the people that were on uh, on field level at that time saw they saw what was in front of them jesus was, was a man that was there in front of them we know a lot more now But just think about it. What expressions did he make on his face? What tone did he use in his voice when he talked? When you looked into his eyes, what did you see? Throughout the Gospels, we find Jesus interacting with people, talking to people. And I think sometimes we we see the concept, we see the teaching, but we forget the people. And that's why I think it's really neat that the past few weeks, we've been looking at different people that Jesus spoke, spoke to, and Nathaniel's one of them. Nathaniel is one of those people that spoke to Jesus. He had a very short interaction that's recorded in the Scriptures. Just a few verses, just a few verses in the Bible. But this meeting, this short conversation held a very profound effect for Nathaniel. And we can even find and still see some of those effects today in our life. And I'd like to take a look at that now. And if we would, if you just, uh, if you, if you got your Bibles open to chapter 1, and we picked up in verse 43, but I'm going to back you up to, to, uh, to verse 1 of uh, chapter, chapter 1. And we'll start from there to gain some perspective on the conversation that Jesus is having with Nathaniel at this time. Uh, I always say you've you got to back down the driveway before you drive down the road. So I'm going to back down the driveway a little bit, and we'll back up here a little. So... I'm going to read the first four verses of uh, John chapter 1 to you now. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And now I'll jump down to verse 14, if you will. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The first 18 verses of John chapter 1 form kind of a prologue for the entire book of John. It encapsulates the meaning of what John's trying to get at through the whole thing. And it's a, it's a very important passage for us as Christians, too. Uh, John's Gospel speaks about the Word of God, which is God existing in the form of Jesus Christ, he being God's Word incarnate, or in flesh. We also, as Christians, relate the word-word the the to the Bible, which incorporates all that God has to say to man in written form. Although the physical Bible is not all of what God has to say, it is complete is in its part in verbal, written Translation. It is complete for us. God. So the Bible isn't the ultimate meaning of the universe. It merely communicates that meaning. Well, the Bible is inclusive concerning what it tells us about God, but it's not exclusive. God speaks in other ways to us too. Uh, You know, if you if you if you look this morning, the sun came up. That's God speaking. Psalm 19, Ron, that is God speaking. When the sun comes up, he is speaking forth. He speaks in many different ways, and he speaks in our hearts, too. But when John uses the word, word, in the beginning, he's not, he's not bringing in a new concept. This concept had been, at least for the past six centuries, in Greek thinking, the word, word, or Logos. To the Greek thinker, it was a system of ideas, and all of these ideas worked together and formed unity and order in the universe. The examined Greek life was one that questioned the universe, discovered the intrinsic order in the universe, and lived in harmony with that order. Socrates said the unexamined life is not worth living, meaning that one should find the logos, or the word, and live in unity with that logos or word. We can find a lot of that thinking today. People who live like this are uh, living like there's meaning to life, but they don't know what it is. Their meaning is undefined. Modern thinking started probably in the 1700s with reason. Reason was how people were going to answer all of life's questions. All you needed to do was apply reason to things and reason would give you the answers that you needed. This worked fine in the mechanical universe. You can, 2 plus 2 always equals 4. Reason tells you that. 2 plus 2 equals 4. If I bring water to 212 degrees and go a little higher, it always boils. There are laws in the universe, and we can use those laws, and reason helps us use those laws. It gives us a certain perspective, but it doesn't give us meaning. It gives us mechanics. This led to, probably in the early 1900s, postmodern existentialism, which very simply put, means, means I find my meaning in life by the actions I take. I make my own meaning in life. Well, this this was interesting, too, because this might have given me meaning, but it gave me no value. There was no value between good and bad. We can't live with that. We can't live without good and bad. There is right and wrong deep within us. It's embedded within us. So this led to, a, it led to a what we would call post postmodern thinking, which led to some kind of form of unfocused positivism. I'm going way out here. I'll come back. We'll come around again on the guitar in a minute. <clears throat> People believe that there's an order to the universe, but they don't know that where that order came from. People believe in positive and negative, good and bad, but they don't have any definition for that. It might be good spirits, but they have no definition of what good is. It might be oneness with nature, but we have no idea why. There is implication to meaning, but there's no actual meaning. So it all comes back to to this now. People believe that there is a meaning in the universe, but that meaning is individual rather than universal. People believe that there are things that are right and wrong, but there's no system or order to define that, what is right and what is wrong. We're in this problem today. You can find that same kind of thinking today. A matter of fact, we might even be worse off than the Greek thinkers of those days. They believed there was an actual meaning, there was an intrinsic order, and their, their their job was to find that order and live in harmony with that order. We today don't even know if there is an order. We want to, be, we want to live with the effect of order without there being order. I was thinking that, that this morning. I got up this morning at maybe 30, 6 o'clock. I got, came down, sat down to read my Bible. Dog, it was nice, it was cool in the house. And I turned on my fireplace. I have a gas fireplace. It looks like a wood fireplace, but it's not. It gave me the impression of there being a wood fireplace, which gave me a warm feeling. But there was no real fireplace there. It was, all, it was a gas fireplace. I don't even have the heat that throws the heat into the room. So it, all it was it looks like a fire. But that's, I was thinking about that. That's kind of like where we are in the world today. We want to look like there's meaning. We want to feel like there's meaning. We want all the effects of meaning without there actually being meaning. So when John makes the statement, and I'm coming back around to this again, in verse 14, that the word or the logos became flesh, and the literal translation of what he did was, he pitched his tent among us. He camped with us. Now think about that what he's saying at that point we might see Jesus as just a man we might know in our hearts he's God but what John is telling us is that the very meaning of existence the order of the universe the meaning of life the definition of right and wrong the definition of good and bad Everything that has meaning, everything you should be striving for, became a person and lived with us. Now, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but when I start to try and think about something like that, my brain explodes. I will come into the Christmas season soon, and that always boggles my mind. I'm going to have a, a grandson or granddaughter, my daughter won't tell us which it is. Uh, In another week or two and it always amazes me when I see the little babies the tiny little fingers The tiny little pieces and they you know what they can do nothing They can't help themselves. How did God become flesh and dwell among us? How did that happen? I don't know but he did You think that's a problem For me to think about, wow, in modern thinking, that is that that there even is a meaning to the universe, but this is the meaning of all, the answer to all the questions, the meaning of existence came and became flesh and lived with us. Try to keep this in mind and I, I spent a little time t- t- defining this, but when we look at Nathanael talking, who is he talking to? He's talking to Jesus. A, a couple of other uh, uh, chapters ahead, when he, Jesus speaks to the wo- Samaritan woman at the well, and he, and he says, can I have a drink? <clears throat> and she says, you're a Samaritan, I mean, and you're a Jew, and you're talking to me. And Jesus' answer to her was probably a great, great answer. And it's a good answer for all of us. Remember this. Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you, if only you knew who you were talking to. If only you knew who you were talking to. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. It's almost as if John says to to us today, if only you know who you're dealing with when you speak with Jesus. Do you know who you're talking to? So let's take a look at the the conversation here. I wanted to set that up here. Who is is Nathaniel going to be talking to? In verse 43, it says, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He had a wedding to go to, you know. He had a wedding to go to, too. was in Galilee. I just thought about that this morning. I'm sorry. Uh... He found Philip and said to him, follow me, in verse 43. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him who Moses in the law and also in the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. What a beautiful picture. Jesus finds Urisco, Eureka, we get the same word Eureka from, uh, from, from that. He found him. Jesus went looking. Jesus was actually looking for Philip and finds him. It's an active word. He's looked for him. He found him. He found him. Philip and spoke to him. He said to him, follow me. Apparently, Philip decides to do that. But what's the first thing Philip does? He goes and gets somebody else. He goes and finds Nathanael and says, we found him. Same word, Eurisco, Eureka. We found what we were looking for. We found Jesus. Philip does the right thing. He just goes out and he's a new believer, right? He's a new believer, probably hasn't been trained in evangelism yet, Doesn't know all the right things to say. Do you ever get in that point? Well, I don't want to talk. I might say something wrong. I might give, I don't know the answers to all the questions, so I don't want to open my mouth. I'll let let it go because I might say the wrong thing. How many of us are afraid to open our mouths because we might say the wrong thing? Philip apparently wasn't. He went right to Nathaniel and told him. We found him. We found Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. <clears throat> Interesting answer there. That uh, very encouraging answer too. That uh, that Nathaniel gives to that. He says, "Can anything good come from Nazareth?" Well, who is Nathaniel? I'll give you uh, Spurgeon's uh, comment on this when he was uh, preaching on this passage. Nathaniel was an earnest seeker. Philip went to him because he felt that the good news would be of interest to him. We have found the Messiah would be no gladsome news to anyone who hadn't looked for the Messiah. So apparently Philip thought Nathaniel would be, would be looking for the Messiah. Nathaniel had been expecting the Christ and perhaps had so well understood Moses and the prophets that he had been led to look for his speedy coming. He was in all respects a godly, sincere man, up to the measure of his light. He was not yet a believer in Jesus, but he still was an Israelite. Indeed, he was a man of secret prayer. He did not mock God as the Pharisees did by mere outward worship. He was a worshiper of God in his heart and in his soul, had private dealings with the God of heaven when no eye saw him. Yet he comes out with this thing. What good thing can come out of Nazareth? Now, first of all, there's two aspects here I would have looked at. Philip's imperfect evangelism. I am a completely imperfect evangelist. I say the wrong things. Sometimes I say stupid things. And Philip probably did too. He didn't know all the facts. Jesus of Nazareth... In a, in, a, in a theological sense, he was prob- uh, Nathaniel was probably right. We know from Micah 5.2 that the Messiah is not going to come from Nazareth. He's going to come from Bethlehem. But this is Jesus of Nazareth, he's saying. So Philip didn't take time to find out that, yes, Jesus lived in Nazareth for quite some time, and he had known. He even identifies himself as Jesus of Nazareth to, to Paul on the, on the road to Damascus. But There was more theology behind this, and Philip didn't know the theology at this point. He just says, we found him. He calls him the son of Joseph. He's not really the son of Joseph, is he? In other places it says, or as it was thought to be, the son of Joseph. But Philip comes right out and says he's the son of Joseph. He's not the son of Joseph. Philip didn't know all the answers. He didn't have all the right things to say. But he came out... And said something. He said, "We found him." Nathaniel comes up with the objection to it. What good thing can come out of Nazareth? The Messiah is not coming from there. It couldn't possibly be him. Maybe Philip should have waited until he knew how to present Jesus better. Maybe he should have read some more books. Maybe he should have prayed a little more. Maybe he should have waited. I think he probably should have, right? Eh, no, he couldn't wait. Then there was a personal aspect. I, I, you can almost, when you read this, picture Nathaniel's face when he says, what good thing can come out of Nazareth? What kind of place was Nazareth? Well, I guess it wasn't the park avenue of, his, of, of Jewish life. It wasn't the best place in town. As a matter of fact, it was up in Galilee, which is sometimes in the scriptures referred to as Galilee of the Gentiles. Those Jews up there weren't like the Jews down here in, in Judea. They weren't the real good Jews. We're the real good Jews down here. It, always, it amazes me at this point, because probably the Jewish people are probably one of the most persecuted people on the, on the planet. And yet they can look down on other aspects of their own religion. We, we're not like that at all, are we? No, we have nothing. I, I can't relate to that at one point or another. No. We don't have that tendency. We're, we're saved by grace. We're a perfect people. Yeah. I can also see that reaction today as Christians. People see what good thing can come out of that church. There's a bunch of hypocrites in there. There's a bunch of bigoted, small-minded, narrow-minded, unmoving people in that church. What good thing can come out of there? That's a challenge for us as, as Christians today. We might sit in here and go, wait a minute, we're not small-minded, bigoted, narrow-minded people. All we're saying is that there is absolute truth. The beautiful part about Philip's answer to Nathaniel's objection is one thing we should take in mind. He says to, he says to Nathaniel, come and see. That is the beautiful part about showing Jesus. We don't, have, we don't have any other words of Philip in this whole exchange. Do you know that? He doesn't present his best argument, coming out looking pretty good, looking like a, looking like a great uh, orator or anything like that. He doesn't convince Nathaniel with the reason He doesn't convince him with arguments or anything like that. He merely says to Nathaniel, come and see. And Jesus does the talking from there. That is your job as a Christian. That was John the Baptist's job as a Christian. He pointed at Jesus and said, look, there he is. That's your job as a Christian, to point at Jesus and say, look, there he is. I just love that part about Philip there. I mean, even the Samaritan woman later on, she 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 goes on and she goes in, everybody in, into the town and gets everybody and says, Could this be the one? I think I found him. And brings everybody else out to him. And Jesus does the talking. He does all he does all the he does all the convincing here. Now let's talk about the conversation. So now you can picture Nathaniel's coming. He comes anyway. He does come. Why he comes, I don't know. Maybe he's coming because he's friends with Philip, and he doesn't. Uh, he wants to do it for just for Philip. Maybe he's coming because he wants to see another one of these charlatans, and and he wants to uh, discredit him. I don't know. He obviously is coming uh, with a cynical attitude, though, right? He doesn't think Jesus is the answer. But he comes. And a neat little thing, uh, f- uh, just, just a neat little conversation that goes on here. Just a couple of verses. Changed the whole man's life. <sighs> so in, the th- in verse 46, Nathan- uh, Philip says, come and see. And Nathaniel and Philip are on their way to see Jesus. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Was there some kind of sarcasm in Jesus' voice? I don't know. This is the kind of things. I'd love to be there and see this, what, what exactly was happening, especially from our perspective here, right? I, I don't, my wife gets on my case because I'll watch a movie two or three times because the first time I get it and then it's like, I said, I want to see what they did here. I want to see how they filmed that. I want to see how it looked. I want to see, see this. I, I would love to have seen what he looked like when he said, was it sarcasm? Remember, Nathaniel's saying those, those Galilean Jews aren't real Jews. And now, 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 now the Galilean Jew is standing there and, the, and Nathanael's coming up to him and, he goes, and and Jesus says, look, there's a real Jew over there. He's coming, a real one's coming now. I can almost hear the sarcasm in his voice. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, I don't know. It's, uh. Or was it because Nathanael was a real seeker he was really looking. He was the kind of man who spoke his mind, wasn't afraid to say what, what he was thinking. We know that because he, what he just told Philip, right? We don't really know much about Nathaniel. But he came. And we don't know what Jesus was, was meaning at that point. Whether there was a sarcastic tone in his voice or not, we don't know. But whatever he said had an effect on Nathaniel. It struck a chord with him because he responds to it. Jesus says, here's a real Israelite in whom there is no falseness. And Nathaniel says, well, how do you know me? How did he say that? I don't know. Did Did he say it with shock in his voice? Like, this guy knows me? How does he know me? Somehow, we don't know what he said, but somehow, the logos has touched him. The meaning of the universe is standing in front of him now, talking to him. Can you just imagine that? And he tells him there's nothing false in him. Greek word there is dolos, which means a trick, a decoy, or bait. Bait, there's nothing Nothing. And I thought about this. There's nothing, no trick about him. What about us? Every one of us has some level of cover-up. We're covering something. We're hiding something from other people. We'll hide. Think we're hiding something from God. I can. I might hide it from you. But, but Nathanael just walked up to the one with, in front of whom he can hide nothing from. Jesus' answer is quite interesting at this point. In verse 48, Nathaniel said, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. What was Nathaniel doing under the fig tree? Scripture doesn't tell us. We don't know. You can think about it. We can speculate on it. I can make you a couple of good speculations. It's, it's become kind of a euphemism to he was reading his Torah or praying. Maybe he was. I don't know. But he was doing something under the fig tree that he only he thought he knew about. He thought it was hidden from everybody else. Whatever he was doing, he thought was his own secret with himself. And nobody knew about it. But now all of a sudden something happened. The person who he reluctantly came to see to maybe discredit has just told him that I can see right down to the core of your being. I know your secrets. When you pray, and I know I pray this way too, I pray trying to hedge around my secrets with God thinking he doesn't know, but he does right down to the bottom core of your being, beyond where I know. Because I I start to play in these little mind games with me. Well, God, I know you know about that, but well, and and I'm playing this little game with him. He knows further down into my being than I know. Nathaniel's defenses crumble at that point when he sees when he sees that the one that knows him is in front of him the very meaning for his existence is standing in front of him talking to him. Nathaniel goes does does a complete 180 and goes from being skeptical and reluctant to come to standing before him and saying rabbi or master teacher You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. What happened? Jesus revealed himself to this guy. He now sees who he is. He saw not just a particular truth about him, but he sees he's standing in front of the whole truth. When we look back at uh, uh, John chapter 1 verses 4 and 5, it said in him was life and that life was the light of men. The life is the light of men and the light just went on in Nathanael's head and in his heart. The light shined in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, I'd just like to look on a little further here and then we'll put some application to this. You know, if we haven't already. Jesus almost gives him a mild rebuke at that point. Jesus said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than this. I always thought this was strange. There might be the argument today about easy converts who haven't thought about, haven't thought the whole thing out yet. Some people come to Jesus in some ways. Some people come to in, him in another. Some people see him right, right away, like Nathaniel did. The effect was immediate. Some people don't. You know, we'll go to the next chapter, Nicodemus, we don't find him. He has a conversation with Jesus too. We don't find him making this kind of conversion right there and then. But he goes back and thinks about it. God works on different people different ways. This man made it, he saw something immediately. He saw that he was talking to God. What happens when people find they're talking to God? Usually they fall down. I'm surprised Nathaniel's still standing at that point. You know, when Isaiah falls down, God doesn't say to him, gee, I'm surprised you came to that conclusion that quickly. You know, uh, boy, you could have thought about this a little bit. But he doesn't. Isaiah falls right in front of him. Now, Nathaniel has a similar experience. You can almost see him, and you can almost try and put in in his mind what he saw. You're the son of God. Now, here's the the best part of the whole conversation. He says, you believe because of this, but you're going to see greater things. Jesus gave Nathanael something in revealing himself to Nathanael, so astounding that even his toes are tingling. Nathanael has just met the very meaning of life. He just spoke with him. He is speaking to him right there now. I don't know whether he fully comprehended the significance of that. What does matter is that he found what he's looking for. He, he came and met the meaning of life. But what is Jesus talking about when he says you're going to see greater things? Greater than this? How could it be? How could anything be greater than this? I'm going to read a little bit of uh, My- Michael Card's commentary, believe it or not, on the book of John, Parable of Joy. It's a great little book. Uh, Jesus's earlier reference to guile sets up a comparison that only becomes evidence here, evident here. Nathaniel is the guileless Israel. Uh, by contrast, Jacob, who was known as the man of guile in the Old Testament, is the trickster or the cheat. If nothing further was said of, in reference to him, his mention of guile would not have had the force it, that it does. But here Jesus returns to Jacob. He speaks a prophetic word that perfectly ties the story together. Jesus begins to talk about himself in terms of Jacob's dream. Now, if you're familiar with Jacob's dream in, in Genesis 28, Jacob fell, fell asleep With his head on a rock I don't know I never fell fell asleep with my head on a rock before I I don't think it was that comfortable I've got that memory foam pillow I love the thing rocks are not good for sleeping on but Jacob falls asleep with his head on a rock and he sees the ladder right and the angels ascending and descending on the ladder Uh, if you can get that picture they're walking up and down access to heaven is by that ladder That's how they're going up and down. Now Jesus kind of brings that back in here. He speaks a prophetic word that perfectly ties the story together. Jesus speaks, begins to talk about himself in terms of Jacob's dream. Jesus, the son of man, will be the one upon whom the angels of God ascend and descend. He is the access to heaven. I hate this when I look up because I lost my place. (laughs) <laughs> uh, the one angels, the latter in the legendary dream of the man of guile is in fact a person. The latter becomes the person, Jesus Christ. Jesus' discreet uh, return to the topic of Jacob calls us back to his description of Nathanael as the guileless one. What Jesus is saying to Nathanael and the disciples and to us is what Jacob could only dream about. A way to heaven has become a reality for us. Jesus is Jacob's dream. His dream came true. To me, that is is wonderful. What does it mean to us? Do you know when we pray? Do you know when we pray where we are? Do you know you're in the very throne room of heaven? You have access to that through Jesus Christ. Sometimes I have a hard time praying just because of that. I don't know about you, but I'm a visual thinker. I got no picture of this. I've got nothing I can relate it to. Do you know that you met, when you meet with Jesus, you meet with the one who knows you? Where do you look for your answers? Where is your logos or your meaning in life? Do you know that Jesus is the answer to all of those questions in your life? It is, how did it become a person? It always was. Many come to Jesus skeptical or reluctant. Some aren't seeking him. I definitely was not seeking him. All are trying, some are trying to get away from him. In all cases, one thing is true. The whole meaning of your life is contained in Jesus Christ. He knows us completely. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 5. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. He knows you completely. And the very end of that psalm, that's a great psalm if you want to read it, 139. There's about 24 verses in it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in life everlasting. Again, in, in the New Testament, we have Hebrews. Uh, in, 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 oops, I lost my page here. I stuck that in between there. Okay. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It gets right in. Is the Word of God doing that for you? Remember, the Word is the the same Word. This is what God has to say to you. Are you letting the Word of God do that for you? Get into your hearts, separating joint and marrow, soul and spirit. Have you come to the same conclusion that Nathaniel did at this point? Have you come to see he is the answer, he is the one? There's nothing else, there's no place else to seek. It's all found in Jesus. He is the meaning of life. There is no other. Let's pray, Father. Before we before we leave, I just pray that we might think of who and where we are, who we are with, and where we are today. Father, we thank you so much for just the words that are in in your scriptures. but we thank you for the word that, that is Jesus Christ. We thank you that he meets with us. And we just pray that we might, as Nathaniel did, come to that, I hate to call it conclusion, but that we might have that revelation that Jesus is the Christ that he is the one, Not not just a nice person, not just a wise teacher, not just the one who paid for my sins, not just the one who went before me, not just the one who was resurrected from the grave, but the one who created it all. the one who was before all. Our Jesus, our Savior, who came to be with us. Thank you, Lord. I lift you up. I praise you. We don't have words. We just pray you speak to our hearts today. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.